Hello, you're listening to the Goddess Archetype Code with Intuition Secrets with your host, Erica Randolph. And we are talking about the heroine's journey. Looking for the light, it's a daily fight and things go bump in the night. The news of the day. All right, thank you and welcome back to another episode about the heroine's journey. So we started the first week talking about the various steps that a person goes on a heroine's journey. And then last week we talked about using archetypes as a, um, a way to help organize and think about what's going on inside of us. Because archetypes, you know, those are universally familiar characters or situations that transcend time, place, culture, gender, and age, and archetypes represent eternal truths. And when we have an archetype in our consciousness, it means that we are either working from that archetype, or we're being influenced by that archetype, or, um, or we want to be influenced by them. And we also talked about how the archetypes have the shadow side you know, the parts of us that are not acknowledged and how that's a really important part of the whole journey is figuring out how do we address the shadow side. So as a woman goes through her heroine's journey, she notices the archetypes, she notices um, the path that she's on, she begins to see that, hey, there is a path, and and she goes forward. So today I wanted to talk about the sin of women's curiosity. <laughs> yeah. So there is an idea that is uh, a sin for women to be curious. So where does and I'm going to tell you a story. And this is a story about Bluebeard. Bluebeard was written by Charles Perrault in his collection of fairy tales in 1697 and it stuck around all these hundreds of years. It's one of the most perennially popular fairy tales, though it's not exactly very typical. Here there's no prince or princess destined to live happily ever after, no kindly woodsman and no evil stepmother. In fact, the only thing that's um, kind of supernatural in this story is the bloody key. And if uh, it didn't have that bloody key, it wouldn't be much of a fairy tale. So Bluebeard's name is uh, because his beard was of the deepest black. It's not literally blue and marks him as a figure of overpowering masculinity, an alpha male whose strength and virility are almost superhuman. So the story of, so let me tell you the story of Bluebeard. I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm going to read it to you. There was some time ago a gentleman who was very rich. He had fine town and country houses, his dishes and plates were all of gold or silver. His rooms were hung with damask, 
His chairs and sofas were covered with the richest silks, and his carriages were all gilt with gold in a grand style. But it happened that this gentleman had a blue beard, which made him so very frightful and ugly that none of the ladies in the parts where he lived would venture to go forth into his company. Now there was a certain lady of rank who lived very near him and had two daughters. Both of them were very great beauty. Bluebeard asked her to bestow one of them upon him for a wife and left it to herself to choose which one of the two it would be. But both the young ladies again and again said they would never marry Bluebeard. Yet, to be as civil as they could, each of them said the only reason why she would not have him was because she was loath to hinder her sister from the match, which would be such a good one for her. Still, the truth of the matter was they could neither of them bear the thoughts of having a husband with a blue beard. And besides, they had heard of him having been married to several wives before, and nobody could tell what had ever become of any of them. As Bluebeard wished very much to gain their favor, he asked the lady and her daughters and some ladies who were on a visit at their house to go with him on one of his country seats, where they spent a whole week, during which they passed all their time in nothing but parties for hunting and fishing, music, dancing, and feasts. No one even thought of going to bed, and the nights were passed in merrymaking of all kinds. In short, the time rolled on in so much pleasure that the youngest of the two sisters began to think that the beard which she had been so much afraid of was not so very blue, and that the gentleman who owned it was a vastly civil and pleasing person. Soon after their return home, she told her mother that she no longer any she had no longer any dislike to the except Bluebeard for her husband, and in a very short time they were married. About a month after the marriage had taken place, Bluebeard told his wife that he should be forced to leave her for a few weeks, as he had some affairs to attend to in the country. He desired her to be sure to indulge herself in every kind of pleasure, to invite as many of her friends as she liked, and to treat them with all sorts of dainties, that her time might pass pleasantly till he came back again. Here, he said, are the keys of the two large wardrobes. This is the key of the great box that contains the best plates which we use for company. This belongs to my strong box where I keep my money, and this belongs to my casket in which are all my jewels. Here also is a master key to all the rooms in the house. But this small key belongs to the closet at the end of the very long gallery on the ground floor. I give you leave, he said, to open or to do what you like with all the rest except this closet. This, my dear, you must not enter, nor even put the key into the lock for all the world. If you do not obey me in this one thing, you must expect the most dreadful punishments. She promised to obey his orders in the most faithful manner, and Bluebeard, after kissing her tenderly, 
stepped into his coach and drove away. When Bluebeard was gone, the friends of his wife did not wait to be asked. So eager were they to see all the riches and fine things she had gained by marriage. For they had none of them gone to the wedding on account of their dislike of the blue beard of the bridegroom. As soon as ever they came to the house, they ran about from room to room, from closet to closet, and from wardrobe to wardrobe, looking into each with wonder and delight, and said that every fresh one they came to was richer and finer than what they had seen the moment before. At last they came to the drawing rooms, where their surprise was made still greater by the costly grandeur of the hangings, the sofas, the chairs and carpets, the tables and sideboards, and the looking glasses. The frames of these last were silver gilt and most richly adorned, and in the glasses they saw themselves from head to foot. In short, nothing could exceed the richness of what they saw and they all did not fail to admire and envy the good fortune of their friend. But all this time the bride herself was far from thinking about the fine speeches they made to her, for she was eager to see what was in the closet her husband had told her not to open. So great indeed was her desire to do this, that without once thinking how rude it would be to leave her guests, she slipped away down a private staircase that led to his forbidden closet, and in such a hurry that she was two or three times in danger of falling down the stairs and breaking her neck. When she reached the door of the closet, she stopped for a few moments to think of the order her husband had given her and how he had told her that he would not fail to keep his word and punish her very severely if she did not obey him. But she was so very curious to know what was inside that she made up her mind to venture in spite of everything. She then, with a trembling hand, put the key into the lock and the door flew open. As the window's shutters were closed, she at first could see nothing. But in a short time, she saw that the floor was covered with clotted blood on which the bodies of several dead women were lying. These were all the wives whom Bluebeard had married and killed one after another. At this sight, she was ready to sink with fear and the key of the closet door, which she held in her hand, fell on the floor. When she had got a little the better of her fright, she took it up, locked the door, and made haste back to her own room, that she might have a little time to get into a humor to amuse her company. But this she could not do, so great was her fright at what she had seen. As she found that the key of the closet had got stained with blood in falling to the floor, she wiped it two or three times over to clean it. Yet still, the blood kept on it the same as before. She next washed it, but the blood did not move at all. She then scoured it with brick dust and after with sand, but in spite of all she could do, the blood was still there, for the key was a fairy who was Bluebeard's friend so that as fast as she got off the blood on one side, it came again on the other. 
Early in the same evening, Bluebeard came home, saying that before he had gone far on his journey, he was met by a horseman who was coming to tell him that his affair in the country was settled without his being present. Upon which, his wife said everything she could think of to make him believe that she was in a transport of joy at his sudden return. The next morning, he asked her for the keys. She gave them to him, but as she could not help showing her fright, Bluebeard easily guessed what had been the matter. How is it, said he, that the key of the closet upon the ground floor is not here? It is not, said the wife. Then I must have left it on my dressing table. Be sure you give it to me by and by, replied Bluebeard. After going a good many times backwards and forwards as if she was looking for the key, she was at last forced to give it to Bluebeard. He looked hard at it and then said, How came this blood upon the key? I'm sure I do not know, replied the poor lady, at the same time turning as white as a sheet. You do not know, said Bluebeard sternly, but I know well enough. You have been in the closet on the ground floor. Very well, madame, since you are so mighty fond of this closet, you shall be sure to take your place among the ladies you saw there. His wife, who was almost dead with fear, now fell upon her knees and asked his pardon a thousand times for her fault and begged him to forgive her, looking all the time so very mournful and lovely that she would have melted any heart that was not harder than a rock. But Bluebeard only said, No, no, madame, you shall die this very minute. Alas, said the poor trembling creature, if I must die, give me at least a little time to say my prayers. I give you, replied the cruel Bluebeard, half a quarter of an hour, not a moment longer. When Bluebeard had left her to herself, she called her sister, and after telling her as well as she could for sobbing that she had but a half a quarter of an hour to live, prithee, said she, Sister Anne, as this was her sister's name, Run up to the top of the tower and see if my brothers are not in sight, for they said they would visit me today, and if you see them, make a sign for them to gallop on as fast as ever they can. Her sister straight did what she was desired, and the poor trembling lady every minute cried out to her, Anne, Sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? Her sister said, I see nothing but the sun which makes it dust and the grass which looks green. In the meanwhile, Bluebeard, with a great scimitar in his hand, bawled as loud as he could to his wife, Come down at once or I will fetch you. One moment longer, I beseech you, replied she, and again called softly to his sister, Sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? To which she answered, I see nothing but the sun which makes it dust and the grass which looks green. Bluebeard now again bawled out, Come down, I say, this very moment, or I shall come to fetch you. I am coming indeed, I will come in one minute, sobbed his wretched wife. Then she once more cried out, Anne, sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? 
I see, said her sister, a cloud of dust a little to the left. Do you think it is my brother, said the wife. Alas, no, dear sister, replied she. It is only a flock of sheep. Will you come down, madam, said Bluebeard in a greatest of rage. Only one single moment more, said she. And then she called out for the last time, Sister Anne, Sister Anne, do you see no one coming? I see, replied her sister, two men on horseback coming, but they are still a great way off. Thank God, cried she, they are my brothers, beckon them to make haste. Bluebeard now cried out so loud for her to come down that his voice shook the whole house. The poor lady with her hair loose and all in tears now came down and fell on her knees, begging him to spare her life. But he stopped her, saying, All this is of no use, for you shall die. And then, seizing her by the hair, he raised his scimitar to strike off her head. The poor woman now begged a single moment to say one prayer. No, no, said Bluebeard, I will give you no more time. You have had too much already. And again he raised his arm. Just at this instant, a loud knocking was heard at the gates, which made Bluebeard wait for a moment to see who it was. The gates now flew open, and two officers dressed in their uniform came in, and with their swords in their hands, they ran straight to Bluebeard, who, seeing they were his wife's brothers, tried to escape from their presence, but they pursued and seized him before he had gone twenty steps and plunging their swords into his body, he fell down dead at their feet. The poor wife, who was almost as dead as her husband, was not able at first to rise and embrace her brothers. But she soon came to herself, and as Bluebeard had no heirs, she found herself the owner of his great riches. She gave a part of his vast fortune to, as a marriage dowry to her sister Anne, who soon after became the wife of a young gentleman who had long loved her. Some of the money she laid out in a buying captain's commissions for her two brothers, and the rest she gave to a worthy gentleman whom she married shortly after, and whose kind treatment soon made her forget Bluebeard's cruelty. So what are we to make of this story? So I suggest we interpret the story like this. Well, let me stop. Let me back up just a little bit. Um, if we take stories like fairy tales and we examine all the different parts of the fairy tale as elements of our own psyche, this is to take the, a Jungian approach to um, fairy tales. So, when we, um, so in, in that kind of way, if we take it in that way, we see that, okay, who's Bluebeard in our psyche? Who's our sister in our psyche? Who are the dead ladies in our psyche? Who's the Blakey in our psyche? So even though, you know, this story has often been called um, a, a cautionary tale against the sin of women's curiosity, honestly, I think it has more to do with um, a young woman coming to terms with who she is and her shadow side and what her goals and dreams are. So, 
you can say um, this is a story about a young, innocent, naive woman who's been brought up in her current world of cultural expectations. You know, she's expected to get married, to be successful, and most of all, to be obedient, be a good girl. And as she's confronted with cultural ideas of success, parts of her are sacrificed. You know, the women in the closet, they are not deemed culturally appropriate. And these are the parts of us that we suppress in order to fit in and be good girls. So the sin of curiosity is that she wants to discover the parts of her that have been suppressed and to reconnect with them. She opens the door and reconnects with the parts of her that have been sacrificed to keep peace. Her husband comes home and finds that she has disobeyed him. And his threat to kill her represents pushback from the cultural expectations. So as she reconnects with her hidden shadow parts, she also calls upon her personal strengths, her sister and her brothers, to help her overcome the pushback from the culture. So the ending of this story is actually one of redemption. And as you think about this story, ask yourself these questions. What are six character traits you're embarrassed of or emotions you try to stuff or dreams you've set aside as you've done your best to be a successful member of society? And what are inner strengths that can be represented by the sister and the brothers in this story? And does the bloody key represent anything to you in particular? And I'm curious what other interpretations might come up for you. You know, please um, maybe leave me a message on Facebook or, you know, go to the Venus Rising. Maybe I'll go ahead and make a Facebook page for this heroine's journey story, this little journey that we're going on. If you find it, please ask to join. I think I will. I'm going to do that um, tonight. I'm, I'm recording this the night before. This is Monday, so tomorrow I'm going to be playing this for you. Yeah, and let me know what you think about this series. And um, by the way, as you notice, we're calling it the Goddess Archetype Code with Intuition Secrets. And this is the heroine's journey that we've been on today. And... I'm just so happy that you've been here with me today. And if you have any insights or anything comes to you, I really hope you let me know. And welcome back to the next time. Well, it's not welcome. <laughs> I invite you to come back the next time we do the show. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Looking for the light, it's a daily fight and things go bump in the night. The news of the day. You were just listening to the Goddess Archetype Code with Intuition Secrets and we're working our way through the heroine's journey. And in the meantime, you're listening to KMKR LP 99.9 in Tucson, Arizona, oh, 99.9 FM, forgot to say FM, <laughs> in Tucson, Arizona, we're so happy that you're joining us, this is coming live from the Zero Craft building, Zero with an X, 
um, the maker space and um, I'm looking forward to doing some more interviews and enjoying bringing other creative women into the studio. We've had so many wonderful guests on this show, the Venus Rising show as well. Um, you know, we've had Gabby Montoya, who's now making waves in another city, and just oh, so many, many people. So I hope you enjoy the listening experience of, you know, we have so many wonderful DJs. I know Golden Boots is usually on before me. And um, all sorts of wonderful. Oh, Tio is coming on. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop talking because I can't remember people's names. I'm so sorry. But there's a lot of wonderful DJs here on 99.9 FM. I'll just throw one track on to take us out. Enjoy the music. Enjoy your evening. This is KMKR 99.9 FM. Escóndete, hambreja, o 
Por ahí va la bruja que asa se menea Ay, dígame, dígame 